Yes, people, Echo Chamber is back, coming off a momentous 300th episode. You know what I mean? It's hard to follow that, right? It's hard to follow that. We're not bringing you four parts, but it is a double header this week, people. So still a lot of goodness for you. In part one, as we do, let's start off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 9th to the 11th of February. Okay, so at number 10, we have got June back in cinemas, only for a short period of time. Obviously, Dennis Villeneuve's behind the camera. He also co-wrote with Eric Roof and John Sapatis, starring Timothy Chalamet, uh, Zeander, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaacs, Jason Momoa, Stellan Skarsgård, Stephen McKinley, Josh Brolin, Javier Bardum, Sharon Duncan Brewster, Cheng Chang, Dave Batista, Dave Damster Chan, Charlotte Rampling, Babs Ollers Mukum, Boy, Benjamin Clementine. This ah, this was so frigging good, right? Because the second part drops, I believe, on the first of March. So people are just getting refreshed. Okay, so at number nine is The Zone of Interest. Back in cinemas because the Oscars, Jonathan Glazer um, directs and co-writes with Martin Amis. Starring Sandra Hula, Christine Friedel, Freya Crutchenkum, Ralph Herf, Max Beck. Ralph Zillman, Imogen Cougar. So that means at number eight, it is Paul King's Wonka, right? He also co-writes with Simon Farnaby, starring Timothy Chalamet again, Olivia Coleman, Hugh Grant, Patterson Joseph, Sally Hawkins, Rowan Atkinson, Keegan-Michael Key, Matthew Byington. Yes. So that means at number seven, it's anyone but you. Dum, dum, dum. This is the new one from Will Glock, who co-writes with Ilana Wolpert, starring Sidney Sweeney, Glenn Powell, Alexander Ship. Day Darren Barnett, Brian Brown, Joe Davidson, Gatter, Rachel Griffiths, Michelle Hurd. At number six, it's Mean Girls from Arturo Perez Jr. and Samantha Jane. Uh, we've got Agora Rice, John Hamm, Renee Rapp, Tina Fey, Jenna Fisher, Ashley Park. Aluli Chavaro, Buzzy Phillips, Christopher Brinney, 
um all doing their thing so it's a top for five at number five it's pepper's cinema party i believe that's pepper the pig i think it's half term right it is directed by andrea tran and we've got a voice cast of orlando bloom Mowena banks talula conambert Robin Yu, Neil Makoswasa, Katy Perry, Richard Rylings, Emil Bay Smith, Lily Snowden Fine, and Vincent Ward. So at number four, all of us strangers, right? Andrew Hay directs and writes, right? Adapted of Tashi Yamada's original film. This one stars Andrew Scott, Paul Mascal, Carter John Groot, Jamie Bell, Claire Foy, Amy Tradera, Cameron Ashplant. Right at number three is The Iron Claw. Right, we reviewed it last episode. This is the new one from Sean Durkin who wrote it as well, starring Jack Efron, Jeremy Allen White, Harris Dickinson, Mira Tierney, Holt McCauley, Grady Wilson, Valentine Newcomer, Scott Inge, Shavo Guerrero Jr., Garrett Hammond, Stanley Simons, Michael Harney. Yeah, if you like wrestling, is this a true story, people? You're going to enjoy that one. At number two is Argyle, right? Matthew Vaughn's new joint, which was written by Jason Fuchs. It stars Sophia Botella, Henry Cavill, Dua Lupa, Bryce Dallas, Bryce, Bryce, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, Arena the Boss, Sam Rockwell, John Cena, Samuel L. Jackson, Brian Cranston, Catherine O'Hara. Boy, it's a good cast. And at number one, it's migration. So Benjamin Rayner um directs with uh Gilo Humsey. Uh Rayner also co-writes with Mike White. And we've got the voice cast of Camille Naranjani, Trezzy Gazelle, Elizabeth Banks, Casper uh, Jennings, Isabella Massad, Danny DeVito, Carol Kane, Aquafina, Keegan-Michael Key, David Mitchell. Boy! It's a good cast, man. Ozoma, Akajaba, right? Boy, yeah, that's a good one. It's a kid's film. <laughs> All right, people. So top 10 done, right? I think now we get into this week's films. Buckle up. Let's go. Right, we're going to start things off with the first of our two prime video joints. So this is... Okay, people, so Netflix, they do love a rom-com, right? They really do. So their new offering is up. 
Gray, dude. This is from director Carlson Young. Um, it, I think it's a second feature film. Right, it's written by Justin Matthews, Christine Lang, and Luke Spencer Roberts. The film is produced by Piers Tempest, Lena Rocklin, Mike Cars, and Bill Blindley. It is executive produced by Carl Hall, Rachel Matthews, Camelia Mendez, uh, Thomas Salantin, and Matt Williams, with Lauren Cox co-producing. Isom Innes handles the music. I mean... Yeah, it kind of makes sense since, you know, he's married to Mendez, right? Um, Mike Stern Shashinsky is on cinematography. Bruce Green edits the piece. Debbie and Jemina McWilliams, they both were on casting. Andrew Holden Stokes' production design. Art direction is Kyra Bozelli and Lisa Di Kuna. Set decoration, Sue Parker. Costume design, Laura De Bruggen and Lance Milligan. All right, so our cast. Well, Camilla Mendez is Anna, right? Um, do we have a... I don't think we do have a surname. No, it's just Anna. Uh, so, yeah, she's Anna. Actually, hmm, that is a good point. Yes, her sister is Vivian, played by Amy Carrero, um, whose fiancé is Ronnie, played by Andrew Schultz. Right. Um, yeah, Anna's best friend at work is Amy, played by Soris Monica Jackson. Right. Her boss is Claire. Dum dum dum. Right. Claire Dupont, played by Marissa Tomei, and Anna is one of her assistants but the lowest of them, right? The two senior assistants are Suzette, played by Rachel Matthews, right? And um, Renee, played by Fola Evans-Akumbola, right? We've also got um, Will, Will De La Roche, played by Archie Renou. His mother, Catherine, played by Lena Olin. Right? Ju Catherine's friend, Julian Marks, played by Anthony Head. Um, there's Arnold Grant, who I think he kind of runs the agency they all work at, played by Thomas Kretschmann. 
right? Gerald Abel, who is vying for a director role along with Claire. Uh, he's played by Gregory Montel. Um, yeah, I think that's the main one. Billy, played by Jack Hewitt. Uh, Joe, played by Rene Kropinski. Uh, Percy, played by Paul Hawkyard. Um, yeah, that's a, that, that's the main group, right? The gist of the film is this. When Anna is upgraded to first class on a work trip, she meets handsome Will, who mistakes her for her boss. The white lie that sets off a glamorous chain of events, romance and opportunity until fib, until her fib threatens to surface. Hmm. I mean, the film is... Well, the film is the typical rom-com. Actually, I said it was Netflix. This isn't Netflix. This is Prime, right? It's just, yeah, I mean, they both have this kind of shit, right? I mean, I say this kind of shit. This kind of stuff, really. You know what I mean? It, 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 it's just that... Um, that style of film, right? It, it's the I think Lois kind of no hassle, right? No hassle, no fault. It's not offensive, you know, rom com where you're just kind of. <sighs> rolling your eyes because it doesn't necessarily make any sort of sense. You know what I mean? And I know what you're thinking. You're like, Kevin, why you keep on watching this shit? Well, people, you can always be surprised. You know what I mean? You can always be surprised. There's often times, you know, ones that are great. And then there's the ones that aren't. So, you know, you watch them. You you try and see. Now, this one, like, it starts off. We see a painting. And you have Anna, you know, going on about this painting. What it means to her, right? What some people think of it. You know, what it is. So you have this, which we then cut into... She's supposedly saying all of this to her sister and her sister's fiance. But that makes no sense because the manner in which the narration is being delivered, it's not like you are talking to someone. So I think that was just clunky. You know what I mean? Like, it's not a bad device to get things popping, but you have to work it smoother, right? Does that one smooth? That was just like, okay, okay, fine. let's do this then. And it's that weird, that weird thing, right? Because her, her sister and, her, you know, fiance, they're just, right, they're sold as the sort of the earth people, 
right? Working class, they're not in fancy jobs. So they don't get art. Right? A sister's like, I like the red. You know what I mean? They don't, they're not meant to get it, which is a bit boring. Right? We always get this. You know, the, the working class, you don't get art, but then there's someone, you know, she or he really gets it. And they've got these aspirations to be big, but they just can't catch a break. Hmm. But the thing is, I will say, Ronnie, right, played by Andrew Schultz, may be the best part of this film, right? He is funny. He is, he is funny. Right, I, and I said the other day, I forget which film it was. Oh, under the underdogs, right? The the Snoop Dogg one on Prime. Also, Schultz has seemed to have found his flow with acting. First few roles, little shaky, but he really has found his feet, and we're getting really nice performances from him. But yeah, so Anna, she's the underdog at work, right? But She's in the training program. This is the thing that makes no sense to me about this film. But she's in the training program. Right? She's not, you know, she's the assistant. But it's not like she is just started in a job. And she's just the, the lowest level assistant. Where when you've got, you know, two people above you who clearly are not leaving, you're not going to go anywhere, right? You, you're there just to get experience. So then you can try, you're applying for other jobs. You're looking to then bounce after, you know what I mean? Minute there. But she's in the fucking training program, right? Now, what a training program usually means, right? There's a duration, you know? So you're there for, you know, six months, a year, whatever it may be. Then at the end of that, right, your performance will be assessed. And then there's oftentimes the possibility of a better role, right, or something. But we're being sold this bill of goods, like, oh, she, you know, she's trying to catch a break and she can't, but it's just like, but you're in the training program, right? Like, what? it doesn't really make any sense the way they're trying to sell this to us. That's the weird thing here. Now, she's going to London. The flight, the whole flight thing is weird, you know, because it's just like one minute, She's there first thing in the morning. The flight's four hours later. But it doesn't seem like, because it's at night. So it, the whole flight thing is weird. I've never been in the first class lounge, so I don't know. But no one told me that you can get spa treatments and all of that kind of shit. You know what I mean? That's like, okay. Okay, you know what I mean? But with the whole thing, well, firstly, she gets upgraded for nothing, which I'm like, come on now. Come on now. What, what the fuck are we doing? So the whole upgrade thing was weird, but she's on the plane and 
the the whole life thing it's weird right it's weird because it's not needed like she works for a really good company a really good company and if you be like yo i'm on the training program that people be like yo that's that's good man hope that goes well so the whole lie that she's the you know the boss it it's weird it's not needed also will's mum Catherine, she's doing business with the company so you're telling me that you don't know that this company has the youngest ever direct come you you would know you would know that shit you would know it right so there's so many things here that are just like weird they always do that thing when you drive through london and they go past all the major sites and it's just like that journey wouldn't take you past all of those things like whoa what are we doing you know, and then they're in the South Bank, but then they're somewhere else, and you're just like, huh? And I don't know why they just didn't say that the Tate, because you would say the Tate. If you're going to the art gallery, because it didn't look like it was the Hayward, right? So you would just be like, yo, going to an art exhibition at the Tate, right? Because everyone knows the Tate. So that's weird. But yeah, a lot of weird things happening right just this situation with the boss right the way claire is right she's meant to be this you know badass you know what i mean perfectionist like chewing people out i will say some of the things are fair you gotta say it's fair right if you are working in a certain field with all that money you can't be looking shabby right you can't be messy so you know hey a mistake of that level again you should have been picked up so chewing someone out over certain some of those things fair now wouldn't do it in public you know what i mean i would do that behind closed doors but it's just a, it's weird how they're selling her to how it is at the end there's no real redemption story or redemption arc right because lies get told but it's just like oh well that's how it feels that's how it feels right Anthony Head is pretty good in this, though it is crazy stereotypical gay, right? He, that's what he's playing. That's stereotypical gay character. Like, he does it well, but it is that, you know? Like, the acting, it's not terrible, really, from anyone. It's just by numbers. Nothing's standing out to you. You know, like the script, this isn't anything like, yo, that was great. That was something. No, the story's got crazy holes in it. And it, it, it's just, there's no real 
character development, right? It's all very one-dimensional. So when we get to the end and they do the whole six month later thing, right? To go, okay, that's where we're meant to believe the character is six months later. Yeah, none of that's happening. None of that's happening in that time frame. Are you in fucking insane? Are you insane? What are you? Come on now. And I will say, if you turn down a job, you can't like a week later try and, you know, get that job back. You've turned it down. They've moved on. They would have got to ask the next person in line. So this was such a weird, such a weird story. I mean, it was, yeah, the kind of bonkers. Right? There's definitely better rom-coms out there. Right, a lot of people are kind of putting this as the, you know, kind of a Devil Wears Prada clone. I ain't watched that, to be honest with you. It does kind of feel very Ugly Betty-ish because I did watch season one of Ugly Betty. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, you just think of any of those kind of teen. Because Mendez was in Do Revenge, right, and it plays very similarly to that. Right, Emily in Paris, just anything like that. This is what this is. You know what I mean? So I guess if you like that typical rom-com, then yeah, yeah, upgraded might work for you. Like something like Can You Keep a Secret? You know, a Sophie Kinsella book right? That, that's what this is. So if, if those kind of things work for you, right? There was the um the hate game, right? Just any of those. If they work, then you will enjoy Upgraded. It's on Prime. So uh, yeah, have at it. Next, we've got Searchlight's new film out on uh, Disney Plus and Hulu. It is Suncoast. Okay, people. So this one came kind of out of nowhere, right? We're talking about Suncoast. It's the new film from Laura Chin. Now, she wrote, she directed it, okay? It is produced by um, Kevin Chinoy, Jeremy Plager, uh, Oliver Oopst, and Francesca Silvestri. It's executive produced by Chris Stinson, uh, Anna Schwartz, and Amy Green, and associate produced by Jared Miller. Now, Est A. Haim and Christopher Stracy handled the music. Bruce Francis Cole was on cinematography, while Sarah Shaw edits the piece. Right. Valerie DeFels is on production design. Art direction is Sonal Naruf. 
And set decoration is Matthew Sullivan. Megan Stark Evans is on costume design. Um, hair and makeup, we've got Stuart Gordon Tribble, Molly Stevens, Chiselle Newcomb, Pamela McIntyre, Rosa Martinez, Julie Lachan, Marissa Healy, Renee Goodwin, Natalie Erfram, Tammy Dobson, JC Davis, Shannon Bakeman, and Dawn Angeletti. So the cast, we have got Doris, played by Nico Parker. Her mother is Christine, played by Laura Linney. And she has a brother, Max, who is played by Cree Kewa. Right. So we then have got, I guess we go with Paul. Paul Warren, played by Woody Harrelson. Um, there are her classmates, right? Um, Doris's classmates. So there's Lacey, played by Danielle Taylor. Um, Brittany, played by Ella Anderson. Megan, played by Ariel Martin. Nate, played by Amar. Um... At the care home, there's Nurse Mia, played by Keila Monterezo Measure. Um, there's Sue, the grief counselor, played by Pam Dofferty. Uh, we've also got um, oh, Dirty Cody, played by Andrew DiCostanzo. Um, Kyle, played by Elliot Sancroft. Adam, played by Parker Sack. There's Officer Chauncey, played by Jason Berkey. Security Sylvia, played by Andrea Powell. Uh, Mr. Ladd, played by Matt Walsh. That's their teacher, I believe. Evelyn Green, played by Karen Casey. Um, Lisa Mosley, played by Orlean Sydney, Alex Vara, played by Brandon Arayo, uh, Sweet and Low, played by Scott MacArthur. Right, a younger version of Doris is played by Oakley Maloney, and her younger brother Max, a younger version of Max, is played by Finn Maloney. Ah, that's nice, brother and sister. So the gist of the story is we follow a teenager, Doris, living with her strong-willed mother, Christine, who must take her brother, Max, to live at a specialized facility. There she strikes up an unlikely friendship with an eccentric activist, Paul, a missed protests surrounding one of the most landmark medical cases of all time. All right, so this is actually based on something that happened to, you know, Laura Chin when she was younger, right? 
so she actually had a brother called Max who also had a brain tumor. So she went through this kind of experience. So she's written this story about it, which is, uh, you know, sad, right? But very poignant. Now, this film, it is heart-wrenching. It really is. And I think it, it captures these emotions very well. Like we start off, we see Doris um, wheeling Max through like town, bringing him home, you know, just like helping him out. And the mum, you know, has made this decision to take him to Suncoast. And it's just, yeah, it, you know, it's tough because you know, she wants needs Doris to help her. So it's just like, oh, you don't have to go into school today. But she's just like, I, I need to go into school. Right? She's got no friends at school, but she just wants this normal life. So the thing with it, right, we can see both sides, both sides of this. You know, because you, you know, if you had a kid, in this situation, he, he's dying, right? You know he's dying. There's no hope. So you just want to make sure every last moment of his life, he or she, you know, they, you know they're going to be as comfortable as they can, right? Because, you know, they can't communicate. They can't talk. They can't move. So you just have to try and make sure that you thought of everything, right? Every little thing, so they're comfortable. So it, 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 we're seeing all of this, right? But it's like the, the school coach has arrived, but she's, you know, helping Max into the car with her mum, and her mum's shouting at the coach. So clearly the coach driver can't hear. Everyone's looking. And it's just making Doris weirder to her classmates. So uh, you you just feel it. You just feel it. it. It's tough. And the the rebellion it is just trying to embrace a normal life. And it's so understandable. And it is so well played by young Parker who I'm watching this and I'm looking at Nico Parker and I'm thinking, I know you. What the fuck do I know this? She looks so familiar, right? And I, I didn't get around to seeing Dumbo, you know? I, I didn't see Dumbo. I haven't watched The Last of Us yet, you know? I, it's it's on my list. I haven't got around to watching it. There's so many other things, people. And then I find out she's Fandy Norton's daughter, Fandy Newton, even her daughter. And you're just like, oh, of course, like you can see it once you know. You're like, that's why I feel I know you, right? But she's very good. You know what I mean? Like, uh, a lot of it, obviously, 
it helps having famous parents. Like her dad is a director and a writer. It helps getting parts, getting recognition. And we've seen many famous persons, kid in roles and they're just like, they're not very good. But people, Nico Parker was very good in this and she really did nail these emotions very well, very well. So then, you know, at school, now, like, she he overhears something and is able to kind of capitalize on it, right? And that brings her a little normality. But the crazy thing is, although, like, a lot of people would go, okay, so this would mean this, she still doesn't, isn't really expecting a lot. But it's just like, oh, maybe I won't be looked at too crazily. So when she's then embraced, it's a, you know, you can see it's a shock. And again, Parker does a great job of showing this, you know? Like, the, the situation with Paul, because you're wondering, when you lose, like, okay, so she makes friends with an activist, how how's that going to work out? Is it going to be creepy? Oh, no. But makes sense. The, the whole meeting and just all of this, you get it. And I think it is, again, would have, we know Harrelson is, is, is great, right? So he plays that well, right? And there's those moments of frustration and he shows it. Right, so it, it it's really good. It's really like Laura. I mean, Laura Linney. Come on, right? She's great, and playing the mum, like, oh, she really does a great job. Like, there's just this horrible moment when she Christine's talking to Sue, and Sue's like, "Oh, do you have any other kids?" And she's like, "No," and then she's like. Oh, Oh my God! Yes, yes, I do, and it, it, and it just wrecks you. There's, we're seeing it, right? She's acting like she kind of only has this one concern, and that's Max. Even though Doris is there, you know what I mean? And and, and you you've got to still have enough love for Doris. Everything is tied into Max, which you get, but it's painful because it means that Doris is going without. Doris isn't getting the care that she needs. And, and so it's just that. And there's a couple of situations with Doris going to Suncoast. You'll know them when you see them, and they're just so emo like so emotional it is just crazy it's crazy and it, but it's done so well right there's two frustrations i do have with this so with the new friend group at school there's there's this one girl right i believe it is megan who oof, like, is acting a bit like a cunt. Let's just be real. She's acting like a cunt. Right, now, we see why. It's easy to understand why. 
at the very beginning, right? Because Megan wants this thing that isn't coming to her. But she's doing certain things. And I feel, right, that, like, someone says, I think it's um, Brittany does say something. But, you know, just a kind of a, hey, kind of, you know what I mean? It's not like, yo, you need to shut the fuck up. Or you're going to get fucked up, right? Because how Megan's acting, that's what would that's what it warrants, right? In real life, I feel someone be like, yo, you need to check your motherfucking self before I wreck you, you know? So I do feel that was a bit too softy, softy approach on that whole situation. And then the other thing that was a little frustrating, the music, the musical beds in the film, mad loud in places, right? So you've got people talking and, and or something, sometimes not even people talking, but we're, we're going through this emotional journey. And the music is so loud. Like, it's not the music is terrible or anything like that, but yeah, there's places where I'm just like, yo, the music is too loud here. You know what I mean? Can we can we just tone it back? Can we tone it back? Or just no music. Let's just live with these emotions, you know? But those are the only two bits, like real factors that were, I feel, could have been perfected. Everything else, I thought, was pretty solid. Pretty solid, you know? And for a feature directorial debut, that's what this is, you know, Chin's feature directorial debut. This is great. This is great. You know, it's a, it's a really good showing. So it does make you very, very interested to see what will come next. But yeah, I think, look, if you like stuff like um, Little Miss Sunshine, you know, you enjoy this. But you know what it really reminded me of? So there was a film at the, I believe it was at the end of, oh, fuck. When was it at the end of? Um, boy, that's going to bug the hell out of me now. Yo, so, um, yeah, I think in episode 123, we looked at a film called St. Francis. Right, it came. I think it came out in 2019, but hit Netflix a bit later. So yeah, I I, I covered it at the beginning of um, 2021, I believe it was January the fourth, uh, and it's not the same film, but emotionally, I, it kind of had a similar, you know feel to it as Sun Coast. So yeah, it kind of reminded me of that as well as Little Miss Sunshine. So if you like those films, people, I do think you're going to like Sun Coast, right? It's on um, Disney Plus, Hulu. Definitely check it out. <laughs> Next up, Netflix dropped Players for Valentine's Day. So, yeah, Players.
Okay, so Netflix decided to give everyone a Valentine's Day gift with players. This is the new film from Trish C, which was wit written, written by Whit Anderson. The film is produced by Ryan Christians, Ross M. Dinerstein, Mark Platt, and Adam Siegel. It is executive produced by Molly Breeshkin, Ross Girand, Sophia Lynn, and Gina Rodriguez. Jeff Cardoni handled the music, Matthew Clark cinematography, while Catherine Himoff edits the piece. Ramani Lee and Lindsay Weismuller were on casting duties. Dina Goldman, production design. Jordan Jacobs, art direction. Chris Hyannis, set decoration. And Karen Malecki, costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Charles Zambrono. Weldon Steinock, Claire Mahoney, Julia Lalas, Ryan Jackson, Carissa Ferrari, Gloria Espinoza, Michelle Renee Elam, Dana Diamano, and Adriana Andalus. Right, so that means people, our cast. Ooh. Let me just. Our cast is Mac is played by Gina Rodriguez. Her best friend Adam is played by Damon Waynes Jr. We then have got Branigan played by Augustus Few. His younger brother, Little Ryan, right, is played by Joel Courtney. Then there's Ashley, played by Liza Cushy. We got Nick, played by Tom Ellis. There's Claire, played by Igo Nowadim. Um, Karen Kirk, right? Adam and Max Boss. Uh, she's played by Marine Hinkle. Marion Hinkle. Uh, Brady Stratton is played by Brooke O. Coom, Mary, the bookstore owner is played by Sarah Daisy Charles. Uh, Carl is played by Jerry Kernian. Martini Blonde played by Claudia Marie Malia. Um, Karen Kirk's husband is played by Dan Cordell. Uh, do, 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 do. that's the main crew, yeah, that's the main group of people, now the gist of the story is this, New York sports writer Mac has spent years devising successful hookup plays with best friend Adam and their crew, while it has led to countless one-night stands over the years, following their playbook comes with a strict set of ground rules. Chief among them 
You can't build a relationship from a play. When Mac unexpectedly falls for her latest target, charming war correspondent Nick, she begins to rethink the game entirely as the lines between work, fun, friendship, and romance begin to blur. Mac must learn what it takes to go from simply scoring to playing for keeps. Blah. <laughs> I mean, this, yo, right? Now, people may think to themselves, why did you look at this? Why? Obviously, you're going to hate it. Why did you check it out? And I'll tell you, it's simple, people, right? It's simple. Because Gina Rodriguez has been in three films that I really like. Now, my favorite of her work has to be Cajillionaire right? Covered it during the 2020 London Film Festival. It's great. I love, I really enjoy that film. Then there's Awake, right? That Netflix film, which I thought was really good. And um, Annihilation, the other Netflix joint, right? Damon Wayne's Jr. Now, he's been in, um, well, the thing I probably... Bar and Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. That was just so fucking funny. Oh my god, was not expecting that to be that great, right? But that was fantastic. So it was in that and long weekend. That was very nice, actually. But his best film has to be The Harder They Fall, right? So if you just go no that person, I hate their stuff, I'm never watching, you would miss out on those kind of gems, you know what I mean, that's the thing, so you give things a chance, you go in with the hope that they're gonna be good, all right, but with this one, there's, it, it starts off with, you know, we're seeing loads of images, and we're hearing them talking, right, they're devising a play, and it, it's just these weird plays, that, you know, they're like, oh, this always, like, there never seems to be really a, oh, this will never, this doesn't work, right, it's just, with these people, even, like, I mean, the one, a couple of times when a play didn't quite go to plan, they still hook up with someone, right, and you were meant to believe that, oh, yeah, they can never, you know, do wrong, they, they will always get someone, because they're that hot, and it's just like, oh, I mean, that's boring. That's boring as fuck. And unrealistic. But it is the... It's a situation between Mac and Nick, right? Because all of a sudden, it's just like, I really... You know, the, their first time out, right? The first time they've met. And, you know... Max acting weird and Anne's like, oh, do you like him? She's like, oh, oh. And it's just like they've not had any sort of conversation. No conversation. But it's just like, oh, I really like this one. I think this one is the what. And it's just like, wait, what the fuck are you talking about? 
right? It, it's just that ridiculousness that is very frustrating from a film like this, right? Because it, it's playing like, oh, that's a big thing. Now, as the film goes on, right, we, I mean, you basically, you know where this is going from the start. Like, from the very beginning, you know what's going to happen, where we're eventually going to end up. And when you look at that and this other thing that happens in the film, both of them are ridiculous situations that you just think, I mean, a conversation would have fixed all of this. And when she has this, this row with someone about something, firstly, it, it's just like, someone can hate what you've written, even if it's supposedly a personal thing. Don't have to like it, right? Because people have different styles. You can like the sentiment. You can like the idea, even the story. But the way you've constructed it doesn't have to work for everyone. And that doesn't mean you're not matched, right? But, again, it's just this weird thing of no conversations. And you're with someone. Right? You've professed your love to that person, and one thing is it. One thing is the end. And you're just like, what the fuck are we doing here? This is these because these are meant to be grown ass people, right? They're meant to be grown. They're in their thirties, and you you know what life is by thirty. You might not necessarily have everything figured out but you're not a fucking child, right? These are fucking kids. These are morons, essentially, that we're dealing with. So they're not having proper conversations, right? The whole, like, breakdown at the very end, and it's just like, oh, well, they thought, they, and it's just like, fucking talk. Like, what, what do you, like, when everyone's meant to be friends, but they've not talked. It shows they're not they're not friends. What are we doing here? You know, it's just a, and they bring in this the Ashley character, right? But and again, there's no conversation there, right? But suddenly we get what we get. It's it's just frustrating, man. Like the acting is just. Ugh. Like, it's not necessarily terrible, right? But it's just not setting anything on fire. Now, I will say that comes more from the script than anything else, right? Because they're just doing what they've been told to do. You know what I mean? Like, the dialogue is just... <sighs> dialogue ain't good. The scenarios are all played out. Um, it just doesn't work for me. Doesn't work for me. However, right? This is the thing, people. If you're a big fan of stuff like Someone Great, right? Love Guaranteed. I think you will like this, right? I want you back. If you like those films, 
players, you're going to enjoy players. You know, that's the big thing here, right? It doesn't work for me, but it doesn't mean it won't work for you. You just have to kind of think, what is the kind of rom-com that I very much enjoy? And if someone great, love guaranteed, all of that, if that is your thing, then Netflix did you uh, blessings for today, 2014th, right? They dropped you a Valentine's gift because you will love players. So there, that's what you have to think to yourself, people. What do you enjoy, right? What do you enjoy? How do you see romance? You know what I mean? Players, it's on Netflix. And our second Prime Video joint, people, it is Puppy Love. Okay, so Puppy Love has just hit Prime Video. And, you know, to be honest, this was a filler film, right? There was something else, but it fell through. So I needed a film for the pod. So, yeah, I checked out Puppy Love People. It is directed by Nick Fabiano and Richard Allen Reed. Reed also co-writes with Greg Gilliana. Peter Stas, Kirsten Gumpfer, and Dan Schnickman. Uh, it is produced by uh, Jason Mooring and Michael Phillip. It's executive produced by Richard Allen Reed, Jonah Perty. Josh H. Etting and Brian R. Etting. It's associate produced by Christopher Campbell Oruk. Uh, Co-produced by Dan Cat and Dan Shankman. Costa Vassos also um, supervises. Music was from Ian Livingstone. Cinematography is Stephen Chandler Whitehead, Lauren Nicolette Stewart, and Suzanne Spangler edit the piece. Judy Lee and Barbara J. McCarthy were on casting duties. Olga Duvoist was production design. Adrian Trakir. Art direction, set decoration is Brooke Gang and Haley Sawcrook. Olga Barsky is costume design. Hair and makeup, we've got Devan Adams, Lisa Burke, Shauna Carverth, Piana Lisa, and Sarah Swain. Our cast, well, do do doom. Nicole Matthew is played by Lucy Hale. Her mother, Diane, is played by Jane Seymour. We have got 
Um, Nicole's best friend Shay is played by Christine Lee. We've then got Max Stevenson played by Grant Gustin. His best friend Sid is played by Nor Davis. Okay, so then there's Hunter Forstini, played by Alexandro Miro. Harper, oh, yes, Harper is Nicole's sister, actually. Harper's played by Corey Woods. There's Dr. Hurt, played by Michael Hitchcock. Naomi, played by Sarah Peguro. Alistair, played by Ali Carr. Blossom, played by Dolores Drake. Sterling, played by Mark Goudet. There's Hank, played by Santa Tom Tyner. Uh, Carlos, played by Carlos Rodriguez. Stacy, played by Stacy Duran, played by Henrietta Johnson. Dr. Kane, played by Nimet Kanji. Um, Lauren, the dog yoga person, played by Rachel Risen, the pharmacist, played by DJ Musner. Yeah, that's probably our main cast, really. The gist of the story is this. After a disastrous first date, Nicole and Max vow to lose each other's numbers until their dogs find a love match. Hilariously mismatched, Nicole and Max are forced to become responsible co-parents but end up finding love themselves. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the gist. Right? Boy, what to say? what to say, right, this is, it's an odd, it's, it's a really odd film, right, it's a really odd film, because firstly, right, you have these two people, and it's like, oh, wait, what does it say again, it says, hilariously mismatched Nicole Max, Right? Are they mismatched? Right? That's the thing. Because what you do is you paint two people at the far ends of the spectrum. Right? Nicole, right? We're, we're meant to believe that she is an artist. Also, a set dresser. She dresses houses for selling. She's very successful and good at it. But in her own life, she leaves food, throws food away. But the bin's not even shut. The food's hanging out. And it's been there for a few weeks. When she's eating, mouth open, crumbs all over the place. This is what we're meant to believe about this person. When, if you were to leave food like that, firstly, there'd be mold on it, right? There'd be flies and there'd be mold. So obviously that food had not been sitting there for that long. 
right? There'd be a smell too, right? You wouldn't be able to walk into your motherfucking house without being hit by that smell. So it's just like, who, who are we kidding with that? Then it's just all the crumbs. Like, you know there's crumbs. Trying to act like, oh, you, oh, no one even knows. Right? And if she's meant to be this pig of an eater, this messy eater, nothing on her. Right? Nothing on her. Always looking fresh and, you know what I mean? Then Max. So he doesn't leave the house. Doesn't leave the house. He's got this anxiety. And he's, oh, we're told he's a collector. He's a collector. He's got a lightsaber, a cigar that was supposedly handled by, um, fuck, the Godfather dude, Marlon Brando, right? Which there's no real proof it was. Some Pez dispenser. It's just like, I've seen you know, five-year-old with more more of a collection than Max supposedly has, right? He's, he's got a few items. What are we saying here? You know, and the, the social anxiety thing, it's never really, like, oh, he was an anxious kid and his girlfriend cheated on him and he got COVID. Okay. Still, why aren't you leaving your house? There's the thing, he's got a job. So it's made out that he used to go into the office. But we still don't know why he doesn't go into the office. Right? It is it's bizarre. They've set these character archetypes, but they're just not fleshed out. They're very one-dimensional. Right? It is so bizarre. Right, it it is just you know you you've just got nothing substantial here for a plot, right? And then he's told he should get a dog, and he just goes and gets a dog, right? He enters the the, the dog pound with no issue. That's the thing. It's very subjective where he has issues because we see him going to some places and it doesn't seem to be, uh, you know, any trouble. So it's just like, what actually is happening here? You know, gets a dog, jumps on social media straight, and obviously straight away, he's got a date right, gets a date, and then they make the date go horribly wrong, and it, it's horribly wrong in a way where this ain't, this ain't happening, right, no one's gonna stuff food in someone else's face, especially, right, these days, because everyone's conscious about food allergies and, you know, so you'd be like, yo, can you eat this? Are you allergic to it? Like, there'd be something, right? So it's just 
very, it was very bizarre. And it's ridiculous, but not in a funny way. Like there's some films that are just so ridiculous that you're just like, oh my days, what a, oh, and you're just laughing your head off. This weren't that. I mean, maybe it is for you. Definitely wasn't for me, right? So you have them, but then we were like, oh, the dogs have become attacked. Yeah, that's not a thing. It's not a thing. Like they're treating the animals like they're humans. And listen, don't get me wrong. I do not believe in being mean to animals or anything like that. I had a dog growing up. I That dog got treated real motherfucking well. Mad, mad walks, ate the best food. You know what I mean? But what I mean is they're putting these human traits on the dogs. It's bizarre. It's very fucking bizarre. Like the prenatal yoga for the dog. Right? And the weird thing about that was that they just wanted to use the word bitch. That's what it just seemed, right? That they were just like, oh, yeah, let's just say bitch a lot, right? That will be so cool. It just weird. It, it was so fucking weird, right? It was just a bizarre thing. It was bizarre. Like the hunter guy that she's working with. Another weird situation. Another weird situation. Right? It feels it's just like, oh, we're saying that he might be drunk or something. And then he just, the way he's at it, like, come on now. If someone's drunk, they're not always, they're not acting like that. You know? It, it, it's just the the dog walker woman be like, oh, you are breed like what the fuck was that? I don't even know what that was. And they're just throwing all of these things, being like, oh, this could be funny. This could be funny. Let's do this instead of just working on a, a, a really good story. They just kind of, it seems like you're throwing things at the wall, right? It's always, there's meant to be this sad thing behind these these type of characters. Like, you know, a parent has died, right? Someone's been cheated on. It's always the way. And there's always something like someone's, oh, you, you're building up all of these walls. But for the viewer, None of these things are real clear, right? None of these things are real clear. But the resolution is always real easy and simple. But it comes after everything looks like it's going fine. And then there's this weird moment and a flare-up. They say the most awful things to each other, which in real life, you can never walk that shit back. No one's forgiving that shit. But it's just like, oh, well, 
and, and you're just scratching your head like what just what just happened here where where are we going what are we doing oh man it it really does seem that Lucy Hale just has one type of film that she does. It, it, it's it's very uh yeah, it's it's very weird, you know? Like you've got the flash <laughs> oh Barry Allen going from that to this. Whew. Yeah, I don't know, man. I don't know. This definitely was not. It wasn't for me. It wasn't for me. And yeah, I wouldn't have watched it. But as I said, I needed something for the po for the pods. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, and I wish. Oh man. Some days you're just like, why did that shit fall through? <laughs> why? What are you doing to me, world? <laughs> Now, if you enjoy, look, we looked at a Hail film recently, which brings me to you. I think that was last week, right? I believe. If you like that, if you like the hating game, you know, two of her films, the other Zoe, right? If those films for you about fate, then you will enjoy puppy love. That's the big thing here, right? There's, a, you know, obviously there's an audience for this type of film, this saccharine, this, you know, basic by numbers story, essentially. Like there's no nuance. It's not a before sunrise. Right, we don't, we're not dealing with complex characters at all. Right, it, it, it's just the dating advice is like, is this the 70s? <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just one of them ones, man. But yeah, you might like that, and that's fine. And if you do like that kind of thing, then you're going to enjoy Puppy Love, right? It's on Prime Video. So, boom, fill your boots, people. Fill your boots. And coming to a VOD near you on the 19th of February, it is Miller's Girl. Well, <laughs> oh my gosh. Man, thanks to Amy at Lionsgate, I just got to check out Miller's Girl. And this, I mean, there's a lot to be said about this film, I feel. There's a lot to be said, people. You know what I mean? Boy. Okay. So let's get down to the nitty gritty, shall we? Um... Yeah, this was uh, written and directed um, by, oh, God, what's the show's name again? Yeah, so 
Jade Haley Barlett. Bartlett? Bartlett. Jade Haley Bartlett. She writes and directs the feature. Um, it's produced by Josh Fagan, uh, Evan Goldberg, Mary Margaret Coons, Seth Rogen, and James Weaver. Executive produced by Bernie Stern, uh, Martin Freeman, and Jade Haley Bartlett. Eliza Samsel handles the music. Daniel Brothers was on hand for cinematography. Vanara Tang edits the piece. All right, Chene Ford was production design. Nate Dal Kemper is art direction. Set decoration is Katie Laxton. Costume design is Lauren Boot. Susanna Boykin, Mary Flay, and Sandy Joe Johnson are on hair and makeup. So the cast, we have got Martin Freeman as Jonathan Miller. His wife, Beatrice June Harker, is played by Dagmara Dominic. We've got his friend, Boris Fillmore, played by Bashir Salahuddin. Then there's Cairo Sweet, played by Jenna Ortega. Her best friend, Winnie Black, is played by Gideon Adlon. The principal of the school, Joyce Mayner, is played by Christina Adams. There's Elliot played by Augustine Hargrave, and Suzette, played by Alicia Samsell. Alicia Samsell. Right. Um, Ray Forley, Trace Haynes, and Andre Wilkinson also appeared as guests in the restaurant. Okay. So, the gist of the film, people. It's a creative writing assignment yields complex results between a teacher and his talented student. I mean, boy, complimented <laughs> for sure. It's so very funny because IMBD has this down as a comedy as well as drama. It's a drama. You could even say it's a psychological thriller. It is not a comedy, right? It's not a comedy. Now, you you have people making light of situations and cracking a joke or two, but I would not class it as a comedy. It is the feature directorial debut, though, for... Um, yeah, Jade Haley Butler, and I thought she did a very good job. Like from the giddy up, right? I I knew I was in for something visually pleasing because there's this scene when we have Cairo. She's walking, right? Walking through, uh, I think through the woods, like, 
And then superimposed on that is Jonathan walking within the school. And I thought, oh, that's a nice shot. That's a really nice shot, you know? And the film is populated throughout with really some just great shots. Like there's a bit when um, it's at Cairo's house, it's raining, and we see her on the um, balcony and the camera's kind of coming up and it just frames her in this way. I think she's got a cigarette and it's just a really nice shot, right? There's another bit with the rain and we've got these two people kind of looking and when they come closer, yeah, these, these great shots, great shots. And the film itself, right some like at first i was like uh is this gonna be like dawson's creek <laughs> because yo every motherfucker is mad verbose right they talk but it's just like who i'm gonna throw in a soliloquy and i'm gonna oh i'm gonna one-up you baby I've got words too, you know? That's what it, I was like, oh shit, is it going to be this? But although it is wordy, right? There is a nice, just this flow to it. I do like a good flow, right? There's this real good flow to the, like the poetry of the literature, you know what I mean? So we have that, which makes sense because they're dealing with literature, right? You know, he's a an English teacher, you know, Jonathan, right? An English teacher, he's a writer. Well, hmm, is he? I don't know. That's a conversation between him and Beatrix. Um, but, yeah, so the flow of it, I feel, you know, it, it, it does make sense in that regard and it I thought it worked very well because when you then get to these Rora moments right it counterbalances right there, there's you know there's Winnie at the beginning she is very like kind of um flirtatious she's very just go with the flow, you know? And then she's weighed down with something later on in the film. And it changes her, right? And, and that works so well with how her dialogue is earlier on to then this more morose version of her later right and, and we get that that that's like oh it's a man it's a creepy fucking story it's a creepy story right and you go oh oh fuck 
because you're wondering if it's going to cross these boundaries that it, that are kind of teased at and implied at. So that makes it very provocative. Like it's supercharged. Film is supercharged, people, right? In that delivery, in the performances, in the framing, right? All of that tension is there and it's very well displayed, you know? So we have this and it's kind of going on because at the beginning, we, we have this voiceover from Cairo, right? And she's saying that, you know, she's lonely, you know? she She's living in this remote place. Her parents are never home, right? She feels creatively, you know, just stifled until she discovered writing and books and words. So that's her outlet. And... You know, she Winnie recommended this class to her. So now she's just energized, right? She's just seeing the possibilities, right, of what she could become. And as her teacher is this writer, oh, she is just like, yes, this is my opportunity, this is my chance. Now, on the flip, Jonathan. Right? Yeah, he was a, he's written a book, but he's not written anything since. Right? He's his wife, it looks like she's successful, right? But just busy, mad busy. And you get that sense, although right, we see her being affectionate to him, but it's like he wants and you know more attention so when he sees the possibility of that somewhere else then everything gets real fucking uh, messy real messy now from what's implied and what actually happens, that's very interesting how all of that is shown to the viewer. Because we also get a story within, you know? So I thought that was very interesting because you there are assumptions that you make. There are definitely assumptions that you make. But what the reality is, you know, I like the fact that we don't end on this concrete, you know what I mean? Boom, the end. We don't end like that. There are, again, assumptions for you to make, but it is, oh, it's slightly haunting. It's slightly haunting. Now, these performances, these performances, I mean, Freeman is very good. The accent is a little, you know, but he he does portray this character very well. Right? As I said, it's this writer who's kind of forced to become a teacher, but wants to tell himself that he loves being a teacher. 
but he also wants attention. Now, not overtly putting that out there, but subconsciously, that's what he wants. Right? That's what he wants. And also wants to be seen as this intelligent, kind, nice guy. And so we see these different facets, right? Cairo, she's this kind of lonely girl looking for something, right? But she's not afraid to uh, wreck shop to get where she wants. And as the story goes on, we see how calculated she is. You know, Winnie, whew, as I said, man, we, we, we see this light-hearted person. But there are jokes she makes about a certain thing. And there is a moment where I think she thinks she could be getting that thing. But then it's snatched away. And then when she sees the fallout of everything, you see this, you know what I mean? Very just sad. Sad winning, right? And it, it's the facial expressions that we get, like just, you know, sometimes it's just a curl of the mouth. It's these little things that really do bring these characters to life. It is very well done. You know, the, the, the music used, because although it does give you, you know, the ambiance of the scene, it's not as on the nose as a lot of people do, but it's just the tempo. Sometimes that change, um, or, or or just the way they interjected it, that worked so well. Like I very much enjoyed this. I really did. I believe it's dropping on VOD in the states today, Friday the sixteenth, and in the UK. It's Monday the 19th. That's what I believe. But yeah, I enjoyed this one, people. I really did. You know, like, um, oh God, what is it? Early, well, I was going to say early in the year. No, that was last year. Boy. <laughs> yeah, last year we had the, um, gosh, it was the lesson, right? Yeah, I believe it was the lesson, which, boy, that was very good. This, it's a, it's a different one, you know, it's not, it's not really the same story, right, and then, you know, you think of things like Kindergarten Teacher with um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, they're not the same, right, but they do have a similar vibe, a similar flavor, and yeah, as for a first feature, I'm I'm impressed. <laughs> I'm impressed with Young Bartlett. I think she's done a really good job with this. So, yeah, if you get the opportunity, people, I definitely would recommend you go check out Miller's Girl. <laughs>
Okay, so as we draw to a close of part one, right, of this week's Echo Chamber, let's take a look and see what's happening in the world of film. So, right, Greenland, the Gerard Butler film, came out in 2020. It was, um, you know, a pandemic film, hit prime. I was very, yeah, surprised that they were planning to do a sequel. You know, it's being called Greenland Migration. Hmm. So Rick Roman War is also back to direct with um, Chris Sparling uh, writing the script. Now, the... Um, yeah, the film will go into production in April. <laughs> so essentially, it says, um, do, 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 do. so it's set after the comet has decimated Earth um, and sees the Garrity family forced to embark on a perilous journey across what's left of Europe to find a new home. Right. Oh, that sounds enthralling. <laughs> I mean, we'll, we'll see what we'll see what happens. Let's not judge. Okay, now Megan, another film that dropped. Um, Actually, when did this one drop? I think Megan dropped in 2022, right? Well, it's getting a sequel, right? It, it blew up, you know? So, yeah, of course, Bloomhouse were like, yes, let's turn this into a franchise. We looked at it, boy, a few months back. Well, probably, no, I would probably say mid-2023. Um, but yes, yeah, so the sequel was due on the 17th of January 2025. It will now be hitting on the 16th of May 2025. Just been pushed back for months. So nothing too crazy on that one. Uh, so we're getting a, a new animated film from uh, Bong Jong Hu, right? It doesn't have a title, but, um, yeah, it's, but they're saying it's going to be the most expensive uh, animated Korean production in film history. Hmm. Yeah, no um, word on what it really is about, though. So, in other news... Right, well, we knew there's a new Karate Kid coming, you know. Um, yeah, I know. Ah, it's like, do we need a new Karate Kid film? You know, it is um, being directed by Jonathan Entzwittle. Um Rob Leiber writes the script. Karen Rosenfeld is producing. And it's meant to be dropping in this December this year on the 13th, which is interesting, right? So um, Jackie Chan and Ralph Macchio are reprising their character. It says iconic characters. 
Jackie Chan was in one film. And the film wasn't even a huge success. So I don't know if you can call his role iconic. You know, you know what I mean? Uh, but so it's um set on the east coast of America and follows a team from China who finds strength and direction via martial arts and a tough but wise mentor. I wouldn't say either with that either. So, um, yeah, that's interesting. But the big news, as said, the guy playing this new iteration of the Karate Kid is Ben Wang, right? So, um, yeah, if you enjoyed him in things like American Born Chinese, Mean Girls, and all of that, you will be happy about that bit of news. Okay, so the dynamic duo of David McKenzie and Aaron Taylor Johnson are getting back together, right, for a new film called Fuse. Okay, it is being written by Ben Hopkins, um, and yeah, it's a uh, being produced by Gillian Berries, Sebastian Raybord, and Callum Grant. Right, um, Giles Nugitton is doing the cinematography. Right, uh, it's about um, an unexploded World War II bomb which gets discovered on a construction site in London. Uh, and becomes the perfect cover for a high-stakes robbery. Hmm. Okay. Now, Barry Keyhone has got a new film, right? It is um, being directed by Johan Rennick, right? And it's an adaptation of The Prisoner in His Palace, which was written by Will um. Baden Wepper. All right, now it's based basically around um, Saddam Hussein's imprisonment. Yes. Uh, and Kehoe is going to play an American soldier who is guarding him. Um, no one um, has been cast as Sudan yet, but supposedly um, they're looking at some talented local actors. Now, Shannon Tatum is um, also in a real-life movie. Well, a, a movie based on real life, let's just say. Right? It's, um, yeah, it, from... Director Derek Sinafants. I think that's how you say his name. Actually, I'm, I'm probably butchered it, to be honest with you people. I am very bad with names. <laughs> Sinafants also co-wrote the film with Kirk Gunn, right? Um, Dylan Sellers, Chris Parker are producing. And uh, yeah, it's a about Jeffrey Manchester, 
who was a former U.S. Army Reserve officer and an eccentric and charming serial robber. So basically, back in the day, Manchester broke into more than 60 McDonald's restaurants overnight via their roofs, emptying cash registers in the morning after herding staff into freezers. Right? He got called the roof man because of the way he got into uh, the building and was known for his gentle demeanor and he, the fact he rarely resorted to violence. He got thrown in jail um, in 2000, but he escaped hiding out in Toys R Us and Circuit City stores in North Carolina, but he was recaptured and sent back to jail. And supposedly the film is about his time on the run. So I I have no clue how that's going to work out. But hey, let us see. Now, he's riding high on the Iron Claw at the moment, right? Because although it's just dropped in the UK, it's already been out in the States since uh, last year. So Zac Efron has got a new film coming, um, which is being produced by Sam Esmol. Um, directed by Jody Hill, All right? Um, yes, who else is it? Uh, da, da, da. it's also based on a book by Blake Crouch, right? Um, called Famous, right? That's the book. The film is also called Famous, and the screenplay is being written by Chad. Hodge. Um, yeah, I don't know who's direct. Oh, yeah, I actually I do. I said who's directing, didn't I? <laughs> but essentially, right, we follow um Lance Dunkquerst, a fame-hungry man who has one thing going for him. He looks exactly like Hollywood superstar James. Jensen, and so old Ephron will be playing both of those roles, right? Trying to use that coincidence to his advantage, Lance travels to Los Angeles, determined to make it big, no matter what it takes. So, um, yes, could work. Let's see, shall we? Now, um yeah, I'm intrigued by this one, right? Apple and A24 have um, got together to distribute high and low, right? This is the new film from Spike Lee with Denzel Washington starring, right? It is um, actually an adaptation of Akira Kazawara's film, of the same name, which came out in 1963, right, which was actually um, based on the book King's Ransom by Ed McBain. Hmm. So the gist of the story is a board member 
of this big of a big company, a Japanese company, um, is forced to make a decision between using a vast amount of wealth to gain executive control of the company or helping his employee by lending him the money to free his child from kidnappers. Dum, dum, dum. Hmm. So this version was co-written with Lee and Alan Fox. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm intrigued. Todd Black and Jason Michael Berman are producing the film. So also, people, um, Joseph Quinn, right, is uh, going to be starring in Relapse, right? This is the new film from Brett Easton Ellis, who's going to be making his feature directorial debut with it. Huh, yes. So Quinn plays Matt Cullen, a man who checks into rehab after witnessing a horrific death during a drugged up party. Three months later, he's trying to get his life back together at his parents' mansion in the hills of Los Angeles. Fueled by an unstable personality and the invading power of social media, Matt's paranoia grows. As he starts using again, a mysterious presence starts growing around Matt, and a monster that has been haunting him since he was a teenager reveals itself. His therapist tries to help, convinced that the monster is actually in Matt's head. Hmm, that sounds very trippy. That could be very interesting. Uh -huh. Now, let's end on this. And he also, um, yeah, has Quinn attached. I'm talking about the Fantastic Four. Yes, people, it has finally been revealed who's going to be starring. Now, we everyone kind of knew Pedro Pascal was going to be Mr. Fantastic, thanks to Sagafra, <laughs> right, dum-dums. But the other roles, I mean, there was some, I think, hint. Um, people had some guesses, but I don't think it was, you know, that obvious. But now it's been revealed, right? So Pad Pedro Pascal is Reed Richards. His wife, Sue Storm, will be played by Vanessa Kirby. Mm -hmm. Right? She's the invisible woman. Joseph Quinn is Sue's brother, Johnny. Johnny Storm, a.k.a. the Human Torch, and Johnny's best friend, Ben Grimm, a.k.a. the Thing, is being played by Eben Moss Basharach. So, yeah, the Fantastic Four have been announced. No other roles have been um, confirmed yet. You know, there's been talk about Galactus, the Silver Surfer, you know. Um, yeah, 
a, a, a few offers, right? But nothing yet. Nothing yet. Yeah, but I, you know, I'm sure now the four have been revealed, the other roles will start falling into place. But Max Shackman, you know, um, Josh Friedman, who are going to be behind this, it's all falling together. And uh, yeah, I'm very, oh, actually, and Jeff Kaplan and Ian Springer, they also co wrote with um, Frisch Friedman. So, yeah, I'm intrigued, man. I have to say, Fantastic Four, you know, I haven't always gelled with them, but Jonathan Hickman wrote a tremendous run, right? So, um, yeah, I'm very intrigued to see where this goes. But, people, that is us. We are done for part one. It's a two-part, people. It's a double-header this week. So go check out part two because we take a look at this new documentary that, yeah, lets people know about an incredible group, right, from the 70s that was slept on in the UK but blew up in the States. And they're back. They're back. So if you want to know who Samanda is, Hey, go check out part two. All right, people. See you then. Take care. Share with your friends. Peace.